0: Welcome to Her Stories, a series of podcasts showcasing the diverse expertise, wisdom and courage of the members of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network, presented by peace activist Magda Zenon. In each episode, recorded during the coronavirus social isolation period, a different mediator shares her story. Hello, this is Magda, and today on Her Stories, we have Anna Chervi. Anna is a humanitarian worker who's supported a lot of peace and reconciliation processes in the Middle East and Southeast Asia. Welcome, Anna.
1: Thanks ever so much, Magda.
0: Anna, your experience is quite wide, and it's it's very grassroots. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listener?
1: Yes, of course. Um, so, I've been uh, working as a humanitarian worker for uh, over 10 years in uh, different uh, settings, as you, uh, as you said, in the, mostly in the Middle East and Southeast Asia. And all of the countries where I served they were countries torn by several years of war, unfortunately. And uh, going in as a humanitarian worker meant uh, for, for me and for my colleagues. Uh, finding uh, compromises along the way to bring uh, communities together when and where possible, and uh, possibly uh, when the conflict levels went down, starting paving the way for what came could come next uh, in their lives. And so uh, it has been uh, a long journey, a uh, diverse uh, journey, in, in multiple countries that really haven't reached my life as a person, as a professional, and I do all the many people I've met along the way, uh, actually who I am today and the work uh, I keep doing today.
0: Okay, and so a lot of the work that you've done has got to do with forced migrations, people exactly, that have been. Yeah. OK, which I think the figures recently was a third of the world's population has been displaced. Or is other figures wrong? The figures are uh, very high. I- We're at the, one of the highest peaks of displaced people.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, unfortunately, the records uh, last year uh, were among the worst of the last decades. And um, and that tells us that as much as uh, many like me, but not just humanitarian workers, are trying their best to find uh, durable solutions uh, to those that were forced to flee. The reality of the world of today is that many still need to actually leave behind their homes and find refuge within their countries or crossing borders. And uh, in an overall environment where there is less and less space to be actually received in a a humane uh, manner. So, yeah.
0: Anna, why is it so difficult for people to understand, and this is this we I'm saying totally as a person living in the EU, why is it so difficult for people to understand that the people that are coming to us from the Middle East are actually not choosing to come. They're actually facing appalling well, conditions and they've been pushed out. So their choice is life or death. Why is it so difficult to change the narrative in the EU or in the first world that these people are seeking refuge? They don't have another choice.
1: Well, I guess maybe I can uh, share something from my own experience uh, because uh, what I actually wanted to do uh, at the beginning of my career was to work a uh, on migration within Europe, and particularly from the country I come from, Italy. Uh, but then the more I engaged on the topic, the more I realized uh, the profound ignorance I had of the realities that these people were coming from. And, um, and that was not just my limitation, it was I a mean, limitation um, across the board, from social workers up to politicians, in not understanding the, different, uh, the diversity that is out there of the reasons uh, that push people to leave. But the bottom line is that regardless of the country they come from, regardless of uh, what's their history or the history of the conflict they, actually, they are actually fleeing, the basic is that they are running away from the fear that they have experienced throughout their lives. And uh, unless actually uh, a culture is promoted uh, um, whereby people get back the curiosity to know different contexts, A culture is promoted whereby, um, yes, there are rules and regulations, but at the same time, there are other core values that go with them. And unless some uh, populist narratives are actually counteracted by by facts and solid facts, I don't see countries like uh, within Europe being able to counter this very negative narrative. And I think it's, uh, as I said, it all goes down to to ignorance. I personally made the choice to actually uh, start working in the countries where people were coming from and actually touch with my own hands the very reasons why these people could not stay. And those that are actually left behind didn't have means to leave. And so they were stuck in the middle of the conflict.
0: Why do they have to leave? What's the reason they have to leave?
1: The main one is the fear generated from insecurity personal threats, threats to their community, threats to their life, uh, threats to their dignity. Yes, indeed, there is uh, also migration due to economic reasons, but that's one part of a much broader Mm picture. And in all the countries where I served, the people were fleeing from death, actually, were fleeing from discrimination that would actually lead them to be uh, subjected to all sorts of uh, harassment and uh, in even harsh punishments. And uh, these are are issues that are known, not in the media, and are actually covered even by researchers. But because they become very um, dependent on the context, not everyone actually makes the time to understand. So yeah, I think the commonality across the many theaters where I worked are certainly the one of uh, fear and um, and lack of security in a very broad sense, which is not just about uh, armed conflict. Uh, it goes beyond
0: that, actually. It, it, it goes on to the kind of security that is included in UN Security Council Resolution 1325. It's got to do with human security. Is my body, is my body safe? Have I got to eat? Is there education? Do I have access to health care? So it goes to yeah. human security that... In the usual patriarchal narrative of what security is, this is not part of the narrative.
1: Exactly, exactly. And in fact, uh, within our field of work, uh, we don't talk about uh, security, we talk about protection. Okay. And protection does encompass uh, all those dimensions. And uh, is far from being the one that comes from law enforcement and law and order. Is actually the right to education, the right to housing, the right to food, the water, and so on and so mm. forth. And and therefore, this guides uh, the work we do on the ground, basically.
0: So, tell me, what kind of work have you been involved in? Because you've been involved in an, a variety of international NGOs and contexts. What is what kind of work do you actually do? Does the do you are you in the refugee work with the refugee camps, or do you work in other contexts?
1: Um, I have mostly worked uh, worked outside of camps uh, because displacement uh, is uh, is actually. Another phenomenon that is uh, oftentimes represented uh, in the media and by camps. But the majority of the population is actually displaced uh, um, in cities, is Mm. displaced in towns, is displaced uh, in in rural areas. And uh, it's actually with a host population that receives them. So, most of my work has been actually to work uh, in communities whereby there was a host, co- or a host community receiving people that were fleeing uh, conflict or were fleeing other sorts of pressure, and trying to actually uh, deliver uh, assistance that would not just target or stigmatize the ones displaced while acknowledging their differences. And would actually help to uh, build a mutual coexistence of uh, realities that didn't have a choice either way. They didn't have a people that fled, didn't have a choice mm-hmm. to stay, and people that received them didn't have a choice to just sh- shut the door and keep them out. And in fact, I think uh, that uh, through my work, uh, I, um, I often would love to actually bring the examples of the millions of people in the countries that are torn by war, that are receiving on a daily basis internal displaced people uh, fleeing from from armed conflict and showing how really what I would call uh, solidarity works in, uh, in practice in places that are have far less means than Europe or other more advanced countries. Oh,
0: so you're saying that the, uh, often in the countries from where some of these people are displaced, they move to other areas and within their community that's already under threat of war or post-conflict, they are far more generous and broad in the way they welcome the people coming in.
1: Exactly, exactly. I mean, uh, oftentimes uh, we have seen uh, in our work that people we were assisting that were not displaced but were living in really poor conditions would actually share the the little they had with the ones that were suddenly arriving due to destabilization in another area of the country, and and so on and so forth. Even uh, like working on double shifts in schools, for example, for uh, ensuring that everyone would keep uh, having education, and and so the capacity even to look at the at the future and the longer term, even uh, when uh, the uh, the whole country was uh, at the civil unrest was quite amazing and never losing hope that at some point or another things would go back to normal. So, yeah, definitely uh, there is something to learn there.
0: Well, I think uh, the thing that stops the Europeans in inverted commas is a different kind of fear. It's a fear of ignorance. It's a fear because they don't know better. They They aren't curious enough to ask questions about why have they come?
1: Yeah, um, that that is one, and I think also in general human beings uh, are against any type of change and uh, any uh, and are not so prone to difference as such. Difference entails being open to the unknown in a way and and to learn, and uh, and it's not uh, unless there is actually um, a, a cultural identity that promotes that it is then left to networks, individuals, uh, organizations that do social work to try and foster that level of openness. Mm. So uh, certainly uh, that is uh, one uh, one factor. But also, I guess, is that Europe has witnessed also an economic crisis and, um, and therefore there are a lot of ghosts that go with that and, um, and losing privileges and... Uh, in status that uh, was meant to be a given or Mm -hmm. that people thought was a given and that is not a given anymore.
0: I think the other thing that uh, uh, broke the balance is the fact that the the Europeans thought that this influx of refugees or displaced people was not going to last this long and would not be of the magnitude it is. So why put a policy into place? Why make the the systemic changes that need to be made? Because the... The bordering countries of Greece and Italy and the uh, the East Balkans will be able to absorb them and we'll be okay. Or the, uh, Germany, I don't think they realize that it would be what are we, eight years into the um, or the main uh, the Syrian crisis, which is only one it's of the 10. crises. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's ten. It's, it's 10. ten
0: years
1: okay. uh, on. But um, but I guess also. We talk about Europe uh, as one, but uh, on issues such as this one on migration, unfortunately, uh, the European countries never managed to talk in one voice and therefore also inform inform policies that would be equally uh, supporting countries across uh, across the European space, mm-hmm. and that uh, divides um, and divides across uh, power balances, economics, and so on and so forth. Actually, weakened any. His aspiration to to find a sound system
0: so tell me the work that you do is actually helping the refugees per se or do you connect between do you connect between departments within the state and the refugees what what's your act? what kind of work what kind of mediation work you do because you've done a lot of mediation work in this respect and re, and negotiation
1: yeah well in, um, within the humanitarian work, actually, the, uh, the work that an NGO does is uh, to support uh, directly uh, people in need, uh, whether they are internally displaced or refugees or they don't belong to any of these categories and are simply in need. And, um, and projects are different. They can uh, range from education to primary assistance uh, when they are uh, freshly displaced and therefore food, water, and the basics. Um, it can be about uh, housing. It can be about uh, basic infrastructures and so on and so forth. So to deliver those services, uh, basically what an NGO needs to do is to uh, is the going between uh, between the needs of the communities, the voices of the communities and uh, uh, other counterparts. Okay. On the one hand, the, like the hosting authorities, whether are the central governments or decentralized structures, but also in, uh, in, in, in times of conflict uh, armed groups. On the other end, there are instead uh, donors, a donor community that is quite diverse and is normally having their head offices back in Europe or in the US, which are mostly the ones that are pretty generous with their funding, mm-hmm. but also that uh, might tie up the uh, the aid to red lines that come from their perspective their different political uh, backgrounds, and um, and therefore like. The work we, we try to do is to um, ensure that by taking the voice of the people we are there to assist, we uh, convince uh, on their behalf um, either donors or authorities or both uh, of what is actually important to, to do and, uh, and when is actually important for that to happen. OK. And so and so, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a mix between uh, negotiations and mediation, depending on, on the situation. But that's in a nutshell on what the work consists, um, I'd say.
0: OK, I see from your CV you speak, you speak Arabic because I'm sure uh, if working in the Middle East and Southeast Asia, you would need to speak Arabic to be more effective.
1: Yeah, I have uh, well basic knowledge, I would say. Um I'm not an arabist uh, by uh, by studies and so what I know is what I learned uh, in uh, during my work and that uh, and that helps helps to understand the culture and helps also to to connect. I try not to uh, to uh, kind of uh, show a language that I do not possess, Arabic uh, is one very complex language, and uh, it takes years to actually master it.
0: I'm sure. Uh,
1: but certainly, but certainly it's, uh, it reflects um, the richness of the culture that uh, that goes with it. And I found it um, an interesting journey and an enriching one, not just getting to learn uh, the places where I'm working, but also to to learn their language. It's quite, um, it quite It's quite a plus, I would say.
0: Well, I'm sure it is because no matter how badly you speak it, and I don't know what level you speak it, at least connecting, trying to connect in a language of the people you're trying to help is certainly a plus. It goes a long way to helping. It makes them feel safe, I would say.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and at least uh, it brings uh, into the equation also um, humbleness, I would say, you know coming from from europe um or from western countries uh, who said that uh, the rest of the world should actually speak english or exactly. french for that matter or, or uh, you know any other language uh, people have the right to actually feel comfortable with their own language and if you really would like to uh, to be serious about your work at least some effort in doing that in learning the language should be put which is also part of the reasons why I decided in my line of work not to jump from one assignment to another, but to spend quite some time in each country and uh, and uh, yeah, um, trying to make the best use of um, of the knowledge I gained to support people better.
0: Okay, tell me, uh, in your line of work, the majority of the people you deal with are women and children.
1: Uh, it's quite interesting, actually, because the majority of the people we support are women and children, uh, because unfortunately the war leaves behind imbalances, uh, both in terms of age as well as in terms of gender. But then, when it comes to my interlocutors, uh, in when it comes to decision making, uh, the major, the majority of the interlocutors are normally male of mm-hmm. different ages, but, um, quite senior. And uh, very very few women, um, and that is valid uh, both for, um, for example, uh, governments, but also, in many cases, for uh, donors and uh, and the whole uh, humanitarian infrastructure.
0: Uh, how difficult is it for you, for the donor or the um, stakeholder or the? Person that's investing or wanting to support. How is it for them to understand that there is a difference in the way you deal with men and the way you deal with women? Because women bring women refugees or displaced people and children bring with them certain specificities that are not taken into account.
1: Yeah, I think um, the uh, well, it's it's quite interesting because on the one hand, um, this could foster more um, solidarity um, and sometimes uh, um, a better. Reception of the issues because uh, of the issue of vulnerability. So, um, women and children are grouped together oftentimes and seen as vulnerable mm. and therefore in need for uh, support um, and protection. And so that might uh, open some doors, but then when it comes to getting more uh, practical and, uh, and actually getting to what people actually need mm. and what, for example, women need, uh, particularly in conflict or post-conflict situation, this is where the problem starts. Because um, this vulnerability concept uh, comes into play and prevents finding solutions that differ from the cultural norms or the uh, how things were before the conflict. And therefore, a women, for example, that um, or a community where women uh, wouldn't care less actually of being supported um, by giving them food. Actually, what they would like to have is a job, and not uh, a job as tailor, for example. Mm. But they would like to also do other types of job that normally would uh, would be um, um, confined for for, male, men, huh? uh, for the male population. Yeah. And that and like, like an issue like this is where then you stumble into into the vulnerability issue and the misunderstandings uh, that many of our interlocutors actually have on what is the reality on the ground and how the reality should be. Um, and breaking that down actually um, is not uh, is not easy and it takes uh, a lot of energies from many to uh, to bring some level of consensus of what needs to be
0: done. Okay because i I mean I agree with you, on the one hand, it's the vulnerable which helps, and then we stay at the vulnerable and we forget that it's systemic vulnerability, so let's strengthen the system, and then they won't be vulnerable
1: exactly I mean, have exactly.
0: you have you got any situations that you've been in that you're particularly proud of that something has happened and you it's it's worked so beautifully that you that you're quite proud of it, uh yeah,
1: I think. I have a couple in mind. Um, one of them uh, was um, a situation where people, uh, after a long, um, uh, a long period of uh, being exposed to heavy conflict, uh, managed to flee, and they were um, received uh, in um, in temporary accommodations, uh, collective shelters, and there, basically, one of the major needs that. Uh, this population was sharing with us was uh, their, their willingness to have uh, youth and children keeping up education, even after all this disaster they went through, and, um, and therefore they asked us to, to deliver those programs. And, um, and basically, that is where we started to, to engage with uh, a broad range of authorities, but also donors. Saying this is what people need. They don't they don't want just to sit and wait for things to move on. They they want to move on now. Uh, they escaped the uh, armed conflict, they are alive, they have a future, they want to build their future from now, from their children, from their youth. And um, and I convinced the donors um, with my team. But uh, the authorities were very reluctant because they were just seeing that all they needed at that stage were water, food and a place to sleep. And that mm. was it. And so then I asked uh, the um, our team to share with me um, videos of um, activities that um, we did in other places. And, um, and I actually made all my way to... Um, high authority um, and basically overruling all the, all the etiquette that should be there and asking for meetings and so on and so forth. And uh, I finally met uh, the one that I knew could decide on this and give the green light. And I didn't say much, I just uh, showed uh, him the video. And, um, and I asked him, okay, if uh, this activity is not approved, then you go and explain to the thousands of uh, younger persons that they cannot access education because I will not go back and actually tell them that that is not possible. And um, and it worked. So actually, uh, after a moment of reflection and possibly surprise, uh, the Greenland was given and, and the project actually lasted for the whole three months of uh, displacement in that temporary location. Oh, wow, um, that's great.
0: That's really great.
1: <laughs> yeah so that made me quite proud I think
0: um of my work well, I mean, I think it's the, it's it's very it's very it must be very difficult to convince the donors that you know what just because they're displaced doesn't mean they're incompetent or they don't need things to do by actually yeah. educating mm-hmm. them and giving them a better system, it will also make it easier for them to integrate there where they're going
1: exactly exactly
0: and we and, and uh, we and we all know with young people especially the young men when they have nothing to do they're perfect targets for the extreme groups the extremist groups
1: exactly and um, and i think in particular like we tend uh, we were talking about the vulnerability earlier on um and uh, i think interestingly enough uh, in the work we do uh, the most uh, vulnerable category um, in the settings we work in are actually youth Um, Because they are caught in between so many different dynamics Mm. and uh, they have lost uh, some years that were paving their future. And uh, they have some critical choices to make if they are lucky, but oftentimes they are not. So their only choice is to sit and wait for something to come through. Mm. Mm. No. That is where I don't think um, we are doing a lot of uh, awareness with uh, with our different counterparts about this particular um, group uh, of people. Uh, but it's uh, it's delicate, and um, and it's oftentimes times not picked up enough.
0: Or well, even if uh, even in even in Europe, okay, that's not in conflict. You see the young people that now with the economic crisis they apparently had choices, but they don't have choices. And it's very scary yeah. to watch that there in there isn't really something in place to ensure that they don't fall within the cracks. Exactly, because exactly. They, they they they're supposed to be making big decisions about all the wonderful things they were told they could do, and now. Exactly. Any other story? I like hearing stories. It's my my weakness. Any other story? You're proud because I I like hearing success stories, and I do believe we need to speak be speaking more of them, not to. Um, stop doing things, but to encourage us to do more things.
1: Yeah, well, uh, maybe another another story um, is instead uh, more on on dialogue between mm. uh, sides that actually would need to talk to each other to to bring an impact in positive terms on the population, but they don't want to talk to each other because they have positions, or they don't want to acknowledge each other. And so um, I actually found myself uh, um, in, uh, in, in a go-between role whereby there were some uh, critical uh, programs that could be done, could have been done. Mm-hmm. And uh, on one side, uh, there was um, a donor that was willing to, to support uh, that, that type of program. And on the other, uh, there was uh, the national gatekeeper that was the one to give the green light to implement the program. But because the two of them couldn't speak to each other directly, and at the same time, kind of after years of neglecting and and lack of dialogue, didn't like uh, to even try to engage because maybe they were fed up. They didn't have hope that any dialogue could actually happen. They were basically blocking for different reasons that very program and so uh, interestingly both sides uh, were represented by a male and uh, quite of a different age than mine older and uh, but they worked with me for for a few years so they did know that uh, whatever i would bring forward to the table would have been genuine and without uh, any other re- agenda okay and so um, and so yeah i uh, basically and i also knew that should uh, uh, an encounter or a meeting happened between these two men, uh, I would have not been in the room because uh, because of a number of, of reasons, dealing with uh, culture and, and other things. And therefore, I, I prepared basically the ground for, for this dialogue finally to happen, mm-hmm. kind of bringing arguments on one side and another. And quite uh, quite a bit of time. And at the same time, I also encouraged uh, my seniors to support this process because I knew that each of them would have gone back to their uh, respective uh, superiors and uh, and asked for permission to to go ahead. So I did all my part, and actually uh, the um, the meetings happened, and an agreement was reached at um, uh, at capital level for that program to go on, and so I was uh, super happy that finally after years of total silence and barriers, that barriers was kind of off, finally. Um, But my happiness then had to clash with uh, and crash against uh, (laughs) the reality, which was that instead, uh, while I was very active in in making that happen, um, at a higher level, nothing moved, because basically they didn't think that this was something possible. And hence, uh, this uh, good part of the story ended up uh, in uh, the respective superiors uh, actually blocking the project again and going back to square zero. So I I find this an interesting experience because it shows that as much as we want to actually bring change and uh, we push for that and we convince different parts that dialogue is important, then we also need to... Uh, push others to do the same at different levels because those levels will be the ones that actually take the final decisions.
0: But that's why I always say, Anna, that there's no such thing as a failure. Everything that doesn't work possibly, everything that happens, even if it doesn't happen in the way it's supposed to happen, actually teaches you something that needs to happen the next time. Exactly. needs to happen the next time. Anna, you're a fairly fairly new member of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network. What do you feel this network can bring to you and your work or you can bring to the network?
1: Um, So I think what the the network uh, can actually bring uh, in uh, in my own life uh, is a sense of uh, togetherness, uh, of experiences, of lives and uh, of different works and different jobs than mine which are incredibly important uh, to keep having things uh, put into perspective and not then uh, feeling as if um, whatever I'm doing is uh, an isolated effort. Efforts, uh, are there are many isolated, isolated efforts out there. So I think that would be the main contribution um, of the network uh, into into my job and also my personal life. Whereas what I think I can bring to the network uh, it's certainly uh, what I have experienced uh, in my line of work for, for the last few years and uh, therefore sharing experiences and offering back a bit of what uh, I will get in return is uh, also to become stronger um, in, uh, in what I'm doing and learning new skills um, and uh, being open also to learn from others Mm-hmm. Which uh, ultimately support me to to be better at uh, at the work I'm doing uh, for myself, but also for for the people people I'm working with that uh, often time look at me as uh, a person to follow and uh, to listen to.
0: Okay, I think that, that that inshallah we manage it, but I think we're already doing quite well. That I find that the sisterhood I'm getting the feeling that someone's got my back, the feeling that I have access to knowledge or to someone to call if I'm in trouble is absolutely priceless. Tell me if you have one role model or two role models, who would you consider a role model?
1: Um, you know, I have uh, many, but uh, they might be a little bit unconventional. And um, and so I'll name, I'll just describe one that uh, changed uh, changed a lot of things. Uh, in in the way I was thinking, and uh, he was um, a truck driver um, in a country where I was working that uh, had uh, was transporting all uh, our supplies into a besieged area. And uh, after I believe seven hours waiting to enter in that area, at my kind of uh, sense of uh, hopelessness and uh, and hearing that I was about to give up. He looked at me and said, uh, no, you are not going to give up. Those people need, need what we have to carry to them. And uh, therefore, this is not the time to give up. And it was a very simple you know, sentence and, and said in a very simple way, but in a very genuine one. And that was enough for me not just to go beyond uh, that very moment of uh, hopelessness, but actually to find the strength uh, um, whenever I, I faced similar circumstances afterwards. So I'm sharing this because I think uh, role models uh, are not the ones that shine or the ones that um, end up with pictures uh, on social media and that have followers. are actually the ones uh, that uh, encourage and inspire others to be strong and keep going, even when the odds are against uh, um, what we are trying to achieve.
0: Well, I think you're absolutely right, because I think it's the same way we look at peace negotiations. The Peace negotiations are not what happens at the table, which people seem to think that's where everything happens. The real peace builders are the people behind the scenes, the people that worked before, the people that work all the time bringing opinions or uh, people together just to talk. So I agree with you, the people that don't appear to shine are the actual role models that we are should all that we should all look to, and listen and learn from. Exactly. And learn exactly. From. Totally agree. Okay, Anna. I think that's a really lovely note to end this conversation on. I'm really glad to have you here on Her Stories, and I look forward to meeting you in real life when this coronavirus, self isolation, uh, shift in perception brings us back to certain normalcy exactly
1: same here i'm really looking forward uh, to uh, not to have to mediate my relationship with skype and zoom and whatsapp yes. and whatnot
0: just sitting and, next uh, to each yeah. other having a glass of wine and just sitting exactly. there yes okay exactly thank you Anamo, yeah. and have a lovely rest of the day
1: thank you so much thank you thank you bye bye bye
0: if you enjoyed this episode of Her Stories, please leave comments, suggestions and reviews, and share with anyone you feel may find these equally interesting. A big thank you to our sponsor, UN Woman, and see you on the next episode.